0: Hello, listener. It's Samson Folk. I'm glad you've joined me for the Raptors Weekly Podcast by myself for this one to discuss the week that was. And I don't think there's any better place to start than with the trade deadline. And we can start with the positives, I think is the best way to do it. So the positive is that Thaddeus Young is a better player than Goran Dragic in that apparently they're going to be actually using Uh, Thaddeus Young. So who is Thaddeus Young? Why is he more useful than Goran Dragic? So Thaddeus Young is a guy who has been in the league for as long as the three-point revolution or the massive volume from three-point land um, revolution has come and gone, or not gone, just come. But the thing is, he hasn't really added that to his game. Yes, he shoots roughly 34% from three, has hung around the low 30s in his best seasons, and can occasionally make one out of the corner. That, that is part of his game. But he's mostly been a tweener, a guy who in-spaced out offenses, and even prior to that, was in between the two front court positions, or maybe even in between a three and a four, depending on how you viewed him. And he was able to get his own shot at the rim more than a lot of his contemporaries at his size, save for the superstars, right? And that was kind of his calling card being a guy who could create a little bit on offense, be a heady cutter, make some of those, you know, garbage manning some plays, getting extra possessions for his team, setting some screens, being helpful, and then just a little bit of offensive pop. And defensively, I think he's always been brutishly strong for his position. Um, he's always had a fantastic steal rate, really active hands and hustles. And that is the cliff notes of his career as a, a gritty defender who, who would rate as quite good especially for some seasons, with a little bit of offensive pop. And the league trended away from the things that made him successful immediately. And he didn't really catch up until last season. And last season, we saw his assist rate jump, like not even jump really, just vault into a completely different stratosphere. If you were to take that assist percentage from last year, which was around 27%, it would be very, very close to overtaking Fred For first on the team and it would be five percentage points above where Pascal is and uh, you know Scotty is a terrific passer but Scotty's at like roughly 14% OG OG is at 11% these are decent numbers for those guys but it just speaks to where Thad is as a passer both as a hub on the elbows and as a short roller and there's zone busting there's some horn stuff that's been run for him but generally you put him in a position where advantage is being created off of a set action, and he's making the right play as a passer a very large percentage of the time. And while the Bulls weren't very good last year, that doesn't mean that those skills aren't transferable to a new offense, to a new situation. And I think that the Spurs, for the most part, were just wanting to really indulge in their youth revival, that type of thing. It's I don't think it's that... Thaddeus Young has completely fallen off and no longer has viability as an NBA player. I think that what happens with certain players is maybe they lose a little bit of juice, but they're an ill fit on some teams that were taking on extra contracts and all kinds of stuff to maximize assets. And that's exactly what happened to Thaddeus Young. Caught up in the DeMar DeRozan sign-in trade, he went to San Antonio, a team that really didn't have much in the way of an idea of how they wanted to use him. And so there he was, not playing a ton of games. He only played 26 this season. And so he comes to Toronto, and the fit makes way more sense. But how much of that is going to be realized on this roster? How much is Nick Nurse going to want to play him? What, What really are we expecting of him? And so I guess I'll walk through the worst case expectations and maybe the best case. And so if you want the more concise version of whatever I'm about to talk about, you can go to raptorsrepublic.com and you'll find that Lewis and I both wrote separate pieces about Thad, but a lot of it um, talks about his his playmaking. And that's that's the place to start because that is his standout elite skill, at least at this point in his career. And I found by looking through a lot of tape, a lot of film of what he did on the Spurs, as much as you can find over 26 games, Right that he was being used mostly as a hub, a handoff hub. And they ran a lot of actions with back cuts and they ran a lot of split action to try and take advantage of his really fast processing as a passer. He sees plays, he makes the right one. He doesn't need a lot of touch time. He doesn't need to see plays develop in front of him and catch on late. No, he needs to see a smidge and he'll act on it. And he's pretty good at keeping the turnovers down, considering and passing guys into high value buckets. This especially will pair well with both Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet, who I think, despite not having the incredible burst off of a pin down or a dribble handoff that, let's say, Norman Powell had, right? Um, if, If you've been watching Raptors basketball for however many years, you can probably very very wide in your mind, you can picture Norm Powell getting a handoff and turning the corner, getting all the way to the bucket for a dunk or a layup. He, he got to the rim really often off of handoffs. And he was one of the best handoff players, either as a shooter or as a driver in the NBA for the past two or three years. It's it's a really, really big part of his, his play types and how he scores. But while Gary Trent Jr. and Fred don't get to the rim like Norm, they They really know how to work and cut off of and stop short of handoffs. And that becomes more of an interplay. That that isn't that Thaddeus Young is just this post holding the ball and a guy like Norm comes and takes it and sprints off in in the direction of the bucket. No, there's more interplay. There's more give and go aspects to it with Gary and with Fred. And I think both of them have a great sense for how to play give and go and to kind of not banter, but play with that type of play type to to mess around with it and to see what can be gained if a a player over pursues for example you know Gary Trent Jr. oftentimes if somebody's coming to break up a handoff will stop short and backtrack and take a pass and whether they switch or whether they just allow the shot whatever happens that's an advantage created or that's something that the defense has to do when they respond and Thaddeus Young I think most easily fits into what the Raptors do offensively as a handoff hub, especially given that Fred is, you know, an all-star for sure. Maybe he'll be in an all-NBA conversation, who knows? But he's fantastic. And Gary Trent Jr. has been lighting the world on fire from three, from mid-range. He's even been getting to the rim more often. And he's he's not being guarded by the best player on other teams. Like, is he taking guys like Jalen Green and Bryn Forbes to the rim? Yes, but who cares? He plays on a team with Pascal Siakam and OGN and OB and Fred Van Vliet. He very, it will be extremely rare for as long as he plays with these guys that he will ever be guarded by a top tier defender. And that's, that's part of the reason why the Raptors are successful is they are not egalitarian truly, but they are very dangerous from very many spots on the floor a lot of different positions. And so they're finding weak spots. And Gary Trent Jr., as far as guys who are trying to track him off ball, and then hang with him as a shot creator for himself uh they fail at a lot of it and i think that there's interplay for him to have with that the same there is the same way there is for fred i think there's a lot of uh i guess ceiling there and as far as working with guys like pascal og barnes precious whoever else like i think that there's a very e- that the first thing that came to mind for me when i saw that that Song was traded to the raptors was the Funk Fest lineups, where they're not playing guards and they're getting super weird, that these lineups really like to defend with length, which Thaddeus Young can do. They like to turn the other team over, which Thaddeus Young has always been very good at generating steals without giving up a lot of advantage to offenses. And they like to be weird on offense. They like to board their own misses, and they rely on a lot of Pascal Siakam's offensive wizardry. And it really helps that they are able to board those extra possessions for when Pascal isn't absolutely mashing every defense that sits in front of him like he has been. But uh, Thaddeus Young, I think if he's in those open interpretive actions where the Raptors have a bunch of long guys always cutting and flying around the, the half court, I think that him as a passer can open up some set plays, some set actions, whether it's like just him whipping the ball across the court to a guy like, you know, I'm imagining like a blind pig action where Thaddeus Young is either the guy above the break with the ball or the guy at the elbow waiting to get the blind pig pass. And one of Delano Banton or Scotty Barnes is going to run off that blind pig action, take the ball and just smash into the rim or something like that. There's lots of different ways that you can use them. But I think that him being such a gifted passer, that makes it seem like, okay, Maybe there's something good here. Maybe there's something that would be very, very useful. And if things go really well, he would fit in super, super well, both as a defender and as an offensive player. And Precious Achua, we've seen that he's hit corner threes in these lineups. That makes sense. And if he's hitting those, these lineups get way more dangerous. The same thing applies for Thaddeus Young. If the Raptors are going to be able to play OG and Scotty and Pascal, and those guys can isolate and try things and post up to their heart's content, then I think that makes sense that Thaddeus Young will try to be an outlet of some in some sort, right? And I also think it makes sense that the Raptors, Nick Nurse should be, you know, going to the drawing board to try and figure out how to take advantage of Thad's remarkable, honestly, passing talent. And I think that's really interesting. That's all the best case scenario. So the worst case scenario is Really bad. Now, now this I don't think is likely to happen, but the jokes are being made, and I think that they're funny, and I think that it's kind of leaning on, you know, past trauma as a fan, or just the, the Goran Dragic thing. I was somebody who was completely fooled about the Goran Dragic stuff. I mean, he did play some games to start, but I thought he would be a fixture in the rotation, and it turns out he just wasn't interested whatsoever, and that's really too bad because an optimized Goran Dragic would probably fit pretty damn well on this Raptors team, but say la vie anyway. But that is the exact thing that you're afraid of with Thaddeus Young. So the Raptors trade a first round pick. And truthfully, you know, the, they did trade a first round pick. I don't want to undercut that. Trading first round picks has become something that teams really, really give a damn about. And the Raptors, They should really give a damn about trading a first-round pick. You see that teams are hard-pressed to to move away from their first-round picks, and I understand that. But it is worth mentioning that a second-rounder from Detroit is coming back. That is as close to a back end of the first round as you can possibly get from a second-rounder. Whether it's pick 31, 32, 33, 34, whatever, it's going to be around there. And you can you can set your watch to that because Detroit is a very bad team. Not when they play the Raptors, but they're a very bad team. So the Raptors, they didn't lose the pick altogether. It's more like they moved back anywhere from, let's say, 8 to, I don't know, 16, 17 slots. If the Raptors are played, or I guess, well, it can't be 17 because it's lottery protected. So anyway... Uh, 16 slots, perhaps, like they maybe could have the 15th pick and have it go to San Antonio. They could have the 21st pick and have it go to San Antonio. But either way, if it's not in the lottery, that thing is going to San Antonio. And they're going to look at maybe they moved 10, 16 spots back. If there's a guy rising in the draft that you really like, or if there's somebody who's undervalued who you really like, you very well may lose your chance at drafting that guy. And maybe that would be a player that you honestly think could help change the future of your franchise. There's always that possibility. And the Raptors, OGN and OB at 21, Pascal Siakam at 27, it matters when you lose draft position. It totally does. That being said, it's not just a straight first gone. There's, there's some opportunity cost there. And I, I understand why some people will talk about how this makes it so that the Raptors don't have to guarantee a contract to whoever they draft at the end of the first round. But I, I hate that, dude. That, like, yeah, I get it. I, I see what you're going for there. But eh, that, why would that move a fan base? And the, if the fans have to understand Cap Minutia to be fans – to, under, to be sold on moves, then I don't think that's, you know, th- that's fine. But that that doesn't mean that it's like an outright great tidy piece of business or something. I think that this is a very marginal trade for the Raptors. And it, it could be anywhere from like marginally positive, I think, to I think it could end up being quite negative depending on what happens the rest of the season. As the Raptors traded for Thad Young, uh, the Cavs got Karis Levert. For example, the 76ers got James Harden. The Nets got Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond. The The Celtics got Derek White, and they gave up quite a bit to get him. But the point, and the Hawks are healthy and probably moving up. And the Hornets, they got Montrez Harrell. Everybody that wants the Raptors' spot or is in a spot that the Raptors want got better. I think that is objective. And so. The the play-in, the back-end, like the four five six situation in the East is uber-competitive. And so all it would take, honestly, is a decent slide from the Raptors to completely put them in a position where they actually moved a substantial amount as far as draft position in this trade. So that's like the worst-case scenario is that everything pops off for other teams. The Raptors have some streak of bad luck or whatever else, and... They end up giving up a huge exchange for a pick uh, for a guy in Thaddeus Young that I really hope does work out. And I've enjoyed Thaddeus' game for a long time, but he hasn't been playing. And you have to see how he works with the with the team first. And it's marginally concerning that as soon as he got to the Raptors, every question that you know has been asked about him, they've responded a lot talking about leadership and presence and you want to hear when you trade a first round pick and again I'm just going to say first round pick from here on out don't talk to me about the draft position because I already talked about that you want to hear about on-court presence and that's not owed but that's just what people want to hear and I'm sure Thad is going to join the Raptors one of these games, whether it's after it, more than likely it seems like it's going to be after the all-star break and maybe he'll be acclimated and maybe he needs to be able to play himself into shape a little bit. You know, he, he talked about the struggle he had about staying in shape despite not getting runtime and all that kind of stuff. Who knows really, but he hasn't hit the court yet having a player come and you're staggering their entry into the rotation and stuff like that. It, it's a little bit concerning when you give up draft capital for that player, especially since Ben Simmons, for example, in the Nets situation, this is a guy who no doubt you understand given all the hubbub around him, and this is a guy dealing with mental health who says like he's working back from a position, he needs to get in a position where he can play, all that kind of stuff. That's happening. You have to deal with that. That's why he's having a staggered entry into the lineup. But Thaddeus Young doesn't have that, and he also doesn't represent the ceiling for example, that you know Ben Simmons does. But of course, the Raptors didn't trade James Harden. They traded a first-round pick. All this to say, I hope Thad comes in and gives like anywhere between 12 to 18 minutes every game. And that could be taken piecemeal from the likes of Siakam, Fred, Boucher, Precious, Banton, Champagny. It can be a lot of different things, and it can change depending on matchup but I am very interested to see what that looks like. And uh, yeah, my, my takeaway from this trade is that it is certainly not a, a home run. It, no, I, I think it would be very tough to examine this trade and come away saying, wow, the Raptors, they stole this one. And I understand why people are saying that about Gary Trent Jr. and the Norman Powell trade because Gary's shooting the hell out of the ball, man. <laughs> and he's playing defense at a clip that's just way better than years previous. Gary's Gary's been awesome. So I understand why people feel like that's a home run. But this one, it's tough to see where it becomes a home run, and it's easier to see where it becomes pretty hard to swallow. But with that being said, as Fred VanVleet said, Thad is here, and he's going to be around and play. And Goran Dragic wasn't. So in that sense, you're upgrading the team. And the other half of that is, I believe in this team. I think the Raptors are a really, really strong team. I think that there's a lot of teams at the top end of the Eastern Conference that are dreading having to play this team as a a first round. Not meaning that they see them as like, the Raptors are going to come in and steal this in six, or the Raptors are going to come in and steal this in seven. They just know they're going to have to work hard for every single win, and you don't know what that looks like at the end of a series, especially when the Raptors have the type of top end talent especially the way they've been playing, like Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. I do not care about Pascal's bubble performance. That was an oddity. I honestly believe that. I am treating Pascal like he's going to perform somewhere near this regular season in the playoffs as well. If if you disagree, that's okay, but I'm, I'm not looking to litigate that take from myself anyway. And so, yeah, not a lot of high-end potential for this trade but I'm not very afraid of the low end of it either because I think that the Raptors are good enough to stand their ground in this East. And I think that Thaddeus Young, there's a fairly reasonable avenue you can see to him helping them do that. And I think that's great. Do I wish that like, man, it only took a second rounder or something like that? Hell yeah, I do. And especially when, you know, some of the murmurs around the Raptors reporting was that, well, Goran Dragic is like very, you know, attractive guys want to take him on to open up cap space into the future. And maybe the Raptors will take on a, a nice budding young player who has money into the next couple years. And that won't mess up the Raptors cap situation, but will alleviate another teams. Then you look and you know, the Spurs are the team that got the first round pick, not the Raptors. And they did for Thaddeus Young, who was in, I would say a very similar situation to Goran Dragic. Now, I'm not going to say that I know what was negotiated on behalf of Brad Stevens and the name of the San Antonio Spurs GM that is missing from me right now or the conversations that Bobby Webster or Masai Ujiri had with them. I don't know what was offered. Actually, very, very few people do. And, you know, there hasn't been really reporting on it either about there being, you know, a race by the Raptors and the Celtics to see who could get Derek White or the Raptors versus whoever else to see who could get Thaddeus Young or a bunch of different teams. But there, there were rumors that teams wanted Drogic. And I think that maybe the Raptors, you know, reporting or whatever, it, it came in a little flat when you look at the way the deadline happened. But I, I do not envy the situation that like Raptors insiders have because the Raptors are as tight-knit an organization as it gets. And they obviously have been playing this one very close to the chest. And as is the case with, like, every single draft, trade deadline, whatever, the Raptors make the move that wasn't reported, that nobody saw coming, and them's the breaks. It's it's just surprising a little bit. If Thaddeus Young had been a name that was – like, Thaddeus Young has been very popular at multiple trade deadlines, and as fans, as analysts, as people who work around, you can't help but take in that you're hearing a name a bunch – and I think that creates a situation where you naturally value that name higher just because you're hearing it more. And the fact that Thaddeus Young's name wasn't said at all <laughs> for a very long time, that makes it so that, okay, the, the the Raptors just got this guy. But Thaddeus Young is pretty good. If, you know, well, I watched his film. I watched his film from this year and I thought he was pretty damn good. So take that for what it's worth. But I think he's going to join the team. I think it's going to be, going to go reasonably well and I think once the Raptors you see how this pick turns out you see who gets picked at the you know mid to end of the first round then you can begin to quibble about the decision they made but I think as far as helping the team this year they definitely didn't do as much as they possibly could I think that's fair to say but they did something that I think will be tangible okay trade talk over trade deadline is done And before I get into the rest of the podcast, which I'll be talking about, uh, you know, I don't want to talk that much about the OKC and Rockets game because they were both fine, but I did a reaction podcast for that. I mean, I talked about both games. You can go listen to those if you're looking for that. I'm going to talk a little bit about the games I expect to come, New Orleans and Minnesota, and then kind of, you know, we'll do some potpourri. I think I'm using that word correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and and we'll talk about the all-star break and kind of what I might expect from Fred and, you know, looking forward to some fun things there. And, and I guess I'll pick like a winner from the dunk contest, the three point contest and whatever. Oh yeah. There's like the Antetokounmpo's and et cetera and et cetera doing the skills competition. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll do some picks for that as well. But before we get into that, uh, Let's let's hear from the folks over at Jack Health. Want to get to the top of your game? Jack Health at www.jack.health is an online service for men's health that handles the doctor's appointment, the prescription, and the shipping, which, by the way, is free. All you need to do is stay home and relax. They've got treatments for hair loss, quitting smoking, ED, and a whole lot more. If you're a guy, they've basically got you covered from head to toe. Order what you want, fill out some questions, and get it shipped straight to you. Free shipping and easy prescriptions. Do it all from the privacy of your own home at www.jack.health. Just as a side note, gosh, can, isn't it insane how, you know, important hair is? It, it blows my mind, I got to say. And, and that everybody, well, men's hairlines recede and they lose their hair and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I wonder if we would even find hair attractive on men if it wasn't even possible for them to lose it, right? Like, is that the reason why it became attractive or does it signal something else to our baser needs? I couldn't say. Anyway, it, it interests me uh, not a whole bunch, but a little bit. I guess enough to spend time talking about it on the podcast. Okay, the New Orleans Pelicans, a team that is in flux, I would say, and will be until Zion returns. I think that's fair to point out. I think it's fair to say this is a team that needs Zion. This is a team that, in a lot of ways, is built to be around Zion, and he's just not there. The interesting thing, though, is that they are starting Devontae Graham and CJ McCollum, and they are getting absolutely shellacked. (laughs) The Raptors, many fans for a long time said, you can't start Fred, and you can't start Kyle. And then Fred started roughly half of the games in the championship winning season. He played one of the largest roles in the, you know, especially the finals, right? And the back end of that Buck series. And uh, he started every single game from 2019-20 on. 2019-20, the season wherein they had a 60-win a pace in the bubble shortened. Gosh, that that period in time was just insane. And life continues to be insane. But anyway... The Raptors made the small guards lineup work, and it's because Kyle Lowry is as tenacious as it gets, as is Fred Van Vliet. They are running uphill against the benefits of being tall, and they're still winning. That's impressive. C.J. McCollum and Devonte Graham is a backcourt that is both small and bad at defense. This is a quandary for them. Who knows what they decide to do? Who knows if they decide to play maybe like Herb down a bit. Maybe they they put Jackson Hayes in the lineup at four. Who knows what they decide to do, or if that's a fix that they plan on making a change to, but they give up a lot of points. The Raptors coming to town with (laughs) the possibility of Pascal Siakam, O.G. Ananobi, Scotty Barnes being able to generate a lot of mismatches against one of C.J., or Devontae, should be terrifying for the Pelicans. And a lot of breakdowns will probably come out of that. That That's a huge advantage for the Raptors. And on the other side of things, Jonas Valanciunas should be a, an unbelievable load for the Raptors to handle. They're going to, you know, we just saw them play Jokic, and he he will initiate above the break way more than Jonas will. And th- like that means that the Raptors have to worry about him in more places. That means they have to be a lot more dynamic in how they guard him. But the point being is that Jonas is large. If he gets the ball below the free throw line, while he cannot pass the same way Jokic can, the Raptors probably aren't going, well, the Pelicans are just a better team around Jonas than the Nuggets are around Jokic. So the Raptors can ill afford to send a lot of attention, doubles, dig downs towards Jonas and really get away with that, especially if it's, particularly uninspired rotations, dig downs, that kind of stuff. Um, Jonas, while not one of the greatest passers out of doubles in the NBA, can make the pass, you know, one or two passes away. He'll make enough reads and, you know, the Raptors are going to have to throw enough attention at it that it's going to be meaningful. So I'm interested to see how they decide to guard JV the last time they played, which wasn't that long ago, about a month. JV had 20 and 17. And, (laughs) you know, that's... That is a lot of box score stats and box score stats aren't everything, but they're, they're important. And that speaks to how the Raptors can sometimes struggle to contain a big like that, although they did a fairly good job of keeping Jonas off the offensive glass. So kudos for that at least, but Jonas is absolutely going to put us, make it more difficult for the Raptors to act out one of their main, one of the main tenets of their offense, offensive ethos, I should say is that, off, rebounding the hell out of the ball on their own end, like on the offensive glass, that the Raptors love to do that. And Jonas is going to make that much, much harder. And I'm interested to see if the Raptors just try and lean into supplementing the offense still with those looks after getting those second looks after getting, uh, you know, the offensive rebound, or if they try to play a little bit more crisp as far as being a, a team that runs a little bit more set actions or trying to embolden Pascal Siakam with maybe more pick and roll touches because he's been so good in the mid-range and his handle has been so tight that you wonder if he could become a guy for this game and maybe for a stretch of time, maybe forever, that can punish a dropping defense. He certainly did against the Nuggets. That was cool to see. He did against OKC as well when Derek Favors was there. So who knows what that looks like? And I mean, the mismatches are going to be there. Absolutely. The Raptors run a lot of actions to try and generate those. And the guys like OG and Scotty Barnes are going to beat Jonas down the floor. Will they beat, you know, Herb Jones down the floor? Who knows? That's a tougher ask. And they, but they'll also beat Brandon Ingram down the floor. And they're going to get post position on whoever's there. And it's not going to be Jonas or Herb Jones every time. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how the Raptors attack that. But, you know, the Pelicans are a very talented team. They were on quite a run prior to the trade for C.J. McCollum. You know, they started out like 1-14. and 14. They were really, really bad to start the season. And you're left to wonder just what kind of game you're going to get from those guys. And the other game that happens before the All-Star break I think is the most interesting game that the Raptors have played since, you know, their, their week from hell, it's, it's on Wednesday. And that's against the Timberwolves. A, because they traded their coach that's also <laughs> that's also a good coat uh joke about the thaddeus young thing is the there are two coaches that have been traded for first round picks doc rivers and thaddeus young the joke being that thad <laughs> isn't actually gonna suit up for the raptors but anyway the raptors traded chris finch to the wolves in the midst of the tampa season because the wolves moved on from their coach and obviously there was some collusion going on with chris He joins the Timberwolves, and their defense this year is as close. The Heat play, there there are quite a few similarities between the Raptors and the Heat, but not enough that I would say there's copycat aspects to it. But I would say there's copycat aspects to what the Timberwolves are doing um, compared to the Raptors on defense. And the same way there was copycat aspects to what the Pacers did last year with Nate Bjorkren to the Raptors. This is the Nick Nurse coaching tree, right? Um, And the Timberwolves have done a pretty damn good job of it the season over, but they've been struggling lately. Carl Anthony Towns literally said he was tired. He's like, I'm tired, man. There's a great quote on how he feels about the defense and all the running around. And so with that being said, I believe that Chris Finch said that they might tone it back a little bit and try to get back into kind of a base package. I don't know what that's going to look like against the Raptors, but I can tell you that All the, you know, hallmarks of the Raptors defense that you as a Raptors fan have been able to recognize this season, Uh, the Timberwolves function very similarly on that end. They will give up rotation, they will X out like maniacs, they will rotate from a lot of places that other teams are not comfortable doing so, and they will give chase to a lot of parts on the floor and try and force passes, you know, away from stars and move them into. You know, role players' hands and stuff like that, and they'll give up spot up three point shots. As you know, as a result of all of that, they just have a bigger guy at the back end of it, and maybe more. Uh, yeah, I Jaden McDaniels, Josh Akogi, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, I would say, are all better defenders than Scotty Barnes currently. I don't know if that sticks forever. I don't know really, but those guys are like a really great trio of wings. D'Angelo Russell, believe it or not, has been you know, he's been a good defensive quarterback. The communication is something that Wolves fans, uh, Wolves analysts, you can, on the broadcast and the coaching staff even, it's something that they rave about, that D'Angelo Russell is really good at quarterbacking. And he's also not a small guard. He's six five, and he, he gets in a lot of places. He disrupts actions, and he's moved quite well, especially as an off-ball player. So that's cool to see. Their defense has definitely been something that has helped propel them to above 500 for so long. They're 30 and 27 currently. I don't know what that looks like, you know, when the Raptors play them if it's one or two games, you know, north or south. But I tell you what, defense has been a calling card of theirs. And on the other side of things, they're they're a very explosive offensive team. They are they can have droughts at times though, and Pascal Siakam is a player who we see get frozen out of the Raptors offense at times. Because he's a big, and he doesn't just control initiation all the time. Carl Anthony Towns, as talented as he is, suffers from the same thing. If the Raptors can dissuade the the Wolves from working through Towns quite a bit, that's where they're going to win this game, I think. And, you know, Anthony Edwards always has, there's always a chance that he might pop the hell off as a scorer. He's one of the most athletic players in the league. He's a marvel to watch. I think he's shooting 36 percent from three, which is really good given how tough his shot selection is. And I, I just think he's he's an incredible player. I can't wait to watch him. He's a guy I need to go see in person. He's a guy I want to talk to an in interview. He he's spectacular to me. And the collection of D'Angelo and Carl uh, <laughs> Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, I think, is a, a hell of a trio. You actually like a fun thing that I was able to put on you know Twitter was that. The Raptors ran a same Horns quick hitter that the Nuggets love to run. And the Raptors ran it with Fred VanVleet, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi. And the Nuggets typically run this with Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., and Nikola Jokic. And I think that we're going to see like quite a few copycat looks from the Raptors and the Timberwolves. There are so many similarities in their playbooks and in how they defend those actions in the playbooks that I think it's going to be... Like a a really, really fun game from that point of view. Not everybody cares about like set actions and what plays are being called and how it's being defended. You know, sometimes you just want to watch shots being made. And I think that Fred, Gary Trent Jr., Pascal, OG, Scotty, they'll be able to go toe-to-toe as far as shot making with Carl, D'Angelo Russell, and Anthony Edwards. So I think that game should be a blast, man. I think that'll be really, really fun. And on top of that, I think the Raptors are going to win both those games. I think they're going to beat the Pelicans I think they're going to beat the Wolves, and I think they're going to go into the all-star break with a two-game win streak. I'm pretty confident about that. The Raptors are playing some really great basketball, and even though they lost to the Nuggets, I didn't think that was the worst game they could have possibly played. In fact, I thought they played really, really great stretches for so much of it and played some of the most beautiful basketball they've played all season, in fact. So, yeah, I think the Raptors are going to get back into the swing of things. I don't know if Dad shows up. I don't know what the rotations are going to be like. I don't know if Banton is still the guy that Nurse wants off the bench. He's pretty good against the Nuggets, so you know I guess we'll see. But yeah, I think that they're going to win these two games, and I think I think it's going to be all right heading into the uh, the All Star break. I'm pretty optimistic. I gotta say, okay, All Star weekend. Fred is there. We don't need to worry about too much else. You're going to see Scotty and Precious in the Rising Stars game. I think that that'll be a lot of fun. Especially if Scotty gets a chance to do, you know, one of those dunks that we occasionally see in like a, a video or in, you know, the pregame warm-ups and stuff like that. But as far as precious catching lobs or something in an up and down game, I think as many of those could go bad as <laughs> or, you know, I think they're as likely to go bad as they are likely to go well. So I guess we'll see as far as that goes. But Fred, I think there's potential that he could pop off. As we've seen how he plays next to Pascal, you know, over this stretch run, he can play next to great players and just absorb the three point attempts that come his way and he can shoot the hell out of the ball. So uh, I think he there's a potential that maybe he'll stick in a fun lineup and he'll be the release valve and he could go as high as four or five threes made in the all star game. And I hope he gets the opportunity to hoist them up. I really do but he'll have an opportunity to hoist them up besides that because he's in the three-point competition next to Desmond Bain, Luke Kennard, Zach Levine, CJ McCollum, Patty Mills, Carl Anthony Towns, himself, and Trey Young. Now, who do I think wins out of that? And I got to say, so Zach, CJ have been in it before, I believe. And, you know, I think that they had middling returns, but Bain interests me a lot because he doesn't jump a bunch. And that's, Like, Patty Mills, I think, is probably the most consistent. Well, Patty, Luke, Fred, and I, yeah, Patty, Luke, Fred, I think are the most consistent shooters there. But Patty is a guy who, there's a lot of lift on his jumper. So he has to change it a little bit as far as, you know, just trying to get the timing down for the three-point competition. And then Luke and Fred, I don't want to pick Luke because I don't think he's got the juice for it, even though he's a great shooter. And if I pick Fred, I'm just being a homer. But, you know, if I had to pick a guy, probably I'm looking at a grouping. I'm going to pick four guys, which is not great, which is a little bit self-indulgent. But I'm going to go with Fred, Carl, Bain, and Kennard. And I think one of those guys is going to win. So it's like a 50-50, really. So if Zach, CJ, Patty, or Trey win, uh, you can come and you can cudgel me for my transgressions, I suppose. And, oh, yeah, how can I forget? Scotty Barnes is in the, the Taco Bell Skills Challenge. So I'm picking the rookies, Cade, Scotty, and Josh Giddey, who uh, is also known as my, my dear friend Ben Pfeiffer. And they're going up against the Antetokounmpo's. That's, well, also 905 Raptors Ajace, Alex Antetokounmpo, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Antetokounmpo, and Thanasis Antetokounmpo. And then there's the Cavs team, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, and Evan Mobley. A really fun way to frame this competition, by the way, but also kind of alienating to some fan bases, I guess. And that that I think that's something that they have in mind, obviously, with these competitions is like, well, who's going to do what and who's going to be interesting and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, tough to say, but I, it's interesting for me, obviously, because I really like the Cavs. I really like the Antetokounmpo's and I really like Cade, K- Giddy, and Scotty Barnes. Barnes, most of all, of course. Uh, The slam dunk competition. Cole Anthony, Juan Toscano Anderson, and Jalen Green, and Obi Toppin. I'm going with Jalen Green. Uh, He's a fantastic in-game dunker, but I think he's also going to have a ton of juice for the dunk contest. The Raptors just played him. You watched that game. You saw the bounce. You know it's... (laughs) Man, it is real. And I also think he has the... um, the coordination to be able to do some interesting stuff while he is skying through the air. Cole Anthony and Juan Anderson, I think, like, Cole is just so sh- darn short relative to a lot of guys who compete in this competition, and his bounce doesn't look as explosive as some of the shorter the guys around his height who have competed, like John Wall, for example. He reminds me of when Damian Lillard participated in it, and you could tell Damian did well with his package, that his package was... I would say, more limited as a dunker. Once Skano Anderson, I think that's the wrong warrior, right? That should absolutely be Jonathan Kuminga. Kuminga is a demon in the air. Like, I, I was watching film today, and it, the <laughs> it's funny that he plays with both Clay and Steph now and Steph for Alver much of the star of his career, of the star of his rookie season anyway, but he was trying to set a screen for Steph, and they're trying to ice the screen. So Steph reversed the ball to the other corner. It was above the break. The other side, you know, reverse play, kind of like in footy. And Kuminga just made a beeline for the rim. And they obviously, the Kings who were defending it, didn't know how to keep up with that because they were responding to the reversal of play. And as soon as it touched Klay's hands, he just threw it at the rim. It wasn't even a good pass. Kuminga just went up and got it and dunked it. And then the next play, they ran a pick and roll again, And so the Kings actually brought a guy lower for the tag so that they wouldn't be able to just reverse the play and throw that uh, alley-oop again. And they gave Kuminga the ball in the short roll, and he did a little hop-step into just this incredibly powerful dunk. And it was like, wow, this is a rookie who the other team didn't have a fix for for a little bit, and it's just because he's an immensely overpowering athlete. He just dunks the hell out of the ball. That being said... I mean, I hope Juan is fun in the competition. I, I think you know. I, I hope you're super fun, Juan. I hope that's super enjoyable. And Obi Toppin can dunk that out of the ball, but uh, I think it's going to be Jalen Green. All told, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of Raptors Jay stuff in the All Star Weekend. It should have Pascal Siakam. Absolutely, it should. I. It's tough to see this happening with how good Pascal is knowing that he's better than he's ever been, and knowing that every team that he faces is shaking in their boots and is just like, holy hell, how do we stop him? We can't stop him. What do we do otherwise? Is there there some saving grace here? And there just isn't. He's too powerful. (laughs) He's too good at basketball right now. Can't be stopped. But all that that being said, there's going to be a lot of Scotty during this weekend, which... NBA fans and Raptor fans both should be able to enjoy because Scotty is so damn lovable and such a fun effervescent human being that you're going to feel it through the screen when he's having fun in the skills challenge or the rising stars game whatever right it's going to be fun he's going to be in it and then Alexantet Kumpo and Fred and all this other stuff going on i think it's going to be a blast as if you're if you're into the spectacle of All-Star weekend then hell yeah, indulge in the spectacle and I, I hope you really enjoy it. And if you're not into the spectacle of All-Star Weekend, man, really, if, if you have time to do other stuff instead, just try and do something you love, I hope. I don't know what that looks like for you personally. I, I initially was going to go on a snowboarding trip to the mountains, but that got, can- <laughs> that got canceled. So I got to figure out what I'm going to do instead. Probably watch this stuff, uh, to be honest with you, but... Remains to be seen. I think that's it for the podcast. Thanks for tuning in with me. I hope it was enjoyable. Uh, Whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.